When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You may have noticed a common theme recently. Almost everything is at an all-time high. This is the S&P 500. It's trading at an all-time high. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, likewise, is trading at an all-time high. The QQQ, which is weighted towards those big tech companies, is also trading at an all-time high. Now, we can even go into specific subsectors, like the Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing ETF. This is basically an ETF of SaaS companies. It's trading at an all-time high as well. The broader U.S. tech software ETF is also trading at an all-time high. And we can go across sectors to different types of companies. We can go from the SaaS companies and technology companies to the boomer dividend-paying stocks. U.S. dividend stocks are at an all-time high. Even going into specific companies like Rivian Automotive, this new EV company, we're seeing levels of enthusiasm that are incredible. This company has a $130 billion market cap, and it's gone up 45% in one week. And so far, all of their sales are out in the future. We can look at companies in my portfolio. We have Costco, one of my favorite companies. It's also trading at an all-time high. The price has surged recently. We can look at the crypto industry. Bitcoin is trading near its all-time highs. Even worthless meme coins like Shiba Inu and Floki Inu have had tens of billions of dollars flow into them over the past couple of months. The housing market and real estate, you guessed it, is trading at an all-time high. We know across the board assets from crypto to meme coins to productive dividend stocks to high-flying tech stocks are all trading at all-time highs. But we're also seeing these all-time highs in product prices and service prices. Costco is seeing inflation abound, impacting a slew of consumer products. Costco has been very vocal that they're seeing increased inflation, and they would know. They are the buying agent for the consumers. They're the ones that cultivates and collects the products to sell to consumers, and they're saying inflation is getting worse. Now, we don't only have asset inflation and product inflation. We also have wage inflation. This is out from the Wall Street Journal today. Nurse salaries rise as demand for their services soar during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, are these wages going to be pulled back in the future? Not likely. So we know that we're seeing asset prices rise across the board, massive levels of speculation and wage inflation. But Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, the one that's supposed to be controlling inflation, has said that inflation is transitory. We're not saying they will reverse. That's not what transitory means. It means that the increases in prices will happen. So there will be inflation, but that the process of inflation uh, will stop so that so that there won't be further, when we think of inflation, we really think of inflation going up year upon year upon year upon year. That's inflation. When you have inflation for 12 months or whatever it may be, I'm just taking an example and not making an estimate, then, then you have a price increase, but you don't have an inflation process. And so part of that just is that if it doesn't affect longer term inflation expectations, then it's very likely not to infect, uh, to, to affect the process of inflation going forward. So what, what, what I mean by transitory is just something that doesn't leave a permanent mark on the inflation process. Jerome Powell has been confident that inflation is transitory, that these are one-time price hikes in wages and goods, and it will soon stabilize to where inflation has historically been. This has been Jerome Powell's message since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, over the months, Jerome Powell has received criticism and pushback, 
People saying that this inflation doesn't seem like it's transitory. And he's reassured us that it is transitory. And these are simply one-time price increases. It's not true inflation. We always have the issue, and central banks generally always have the issue, of looking at price increases and asking whether they're really threatening inflation. By inflation, we mean year after year after year prices go up. And if, if something is a one-time price increase, then you don't react to it with monetary policy because, you know, frankly, the way monetary policy works would be by slowing down the, the economy, slowing down the recovery, and therefore reducing inflationary pressure. So you wouldn't react to something that is likely to go away. Uh, so, so we have to look at this current situation where we have a number of categories of goods and services where inflation is moving up, as, as I mentioned higher and, and uh, than we were expected and a little bit more persistent than we had expected and hoped. But we look at them and we look at the story and, you know, the story with you mentioned around used cars and, uh, and new cars and rental cars is all, it's all kind of the same story. It's, there's a shortage of, of semiconductors. There's also very high demand for various reasons. People are using less public transportation. They have money because they haven't been able to spend. Um, and, you know, it's just a perfect storm of high demand and, and low supply. And it should pass and unless we think there's going to be a, a multi-year, many-year shortage of used cars in the United States. We should look at this as as temporary. And we, we've, we very much think that it is. And so do I, all the forecasters I've seen think that these price increases for used cars and new car, new cars will they'll they'll top out. And then in all likelihood, at some point in the future, and we can't say exactly when they'll decline. He notes that this is a one-time thing. Jerome Powell's stance remains that this is temporary and it should soon pass. Now, while Jerome Powell is reassuring us that inflation is only temporary and these are one-time price increases, the inflationary data looks very damning. Prices were up 6.2% since last year. This is the biggest jump that we've had since 1990. And this is the fifth month in a row where inflation has been above 5%. It looks like inflation is running a lot hotter than the Fed is suggesting. And we also just had research published from Bridgewater, which is the biggest hedge fund in the world, where they studied inflation. And they studied not only what's causing it, but how long it's likely to stick around. In this research, Bridgewater asserts that Jerome Powell is understating the effects of inflation. They do not believe it's a one-time price increase. They don't believe that it's simply a short-term transitory issue. They say that this is a massive demand shock, not a supply shock, and it's everywhere. The problem is much more widespread than most people believe. The first big fallacy that Bridgewater clears up is this is not a supply issue, it's a demand issue. This is not, by and large, a pandemic-related supply problem. As we'll show, supply of almost everything is at all-time highs. Rather, this is mostly an MP3, which means Monetary Policy 3, driven upward demand shock. And while some drivers of higher inflation have been transitory, we see the underlying demand and supply imbalances getting worse, not better. So they think that some portions of the problem are transitory, but the problem overall is not transitory. So let's rewind a little bit. What caused this inflation to begin with? The mechanics of the combined monetary and fiscal stimulus are inherently inflationary. Monetary policy three creates demand without creating any supply. The MP3 response we saw in response to the pandemic more than made up for the incomes lost to widespread shutdowns without making up for the supply that those incomes had been producing. So basically, the government and the Fed 
created policies that gave people a lot of money without creating any type of supply. This is very different than the post-financial crisis, monetary policy too. So they're saying that in 2009, when the Fed reacted to that, it didn't create a lot of inflation because they just did quantitative easing and they lowered interest rates. It was not paired with the significant fiscal stimulus. And that stimulus is what creates so much demand without the supply to match it. But now we're in a situation where we likewise did lots of quantitative easing, record amounts of quantitative easing, we lowered interest rates to zero, and we gave out trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in fiscal stimulus without the supply to match it. As a result, we're now seeing how this plays out. These new inflationary mechanics of MP3 are a potent tool. And while the composition of demand will shift around, it might shift from goods back to services as the economy opens, the one thing that's staying around is demand. Demand is not going anywhere. It's going to remain extremely high. There's still today large stockpiles of cash ready to spend. Companies' balance sheets and household balance sheets are at all-time highs. We have extremely low yields and more fiscal stimulus is on the way. This is a combination for increased demand increased inflation, and for it to be sustained for years into the future. I think one of the biggest common myths with today's inflation is that people think it is a supply problem. They don't realize that supply today is more than it was pre-pandemic. Supply has recovered remarkably quick. As you can see in this chart, real goods production, the line that's in red, is now higher than it was pre-COVID. The issue is that demand has exploded, creating an imbalance of a magnitude that we haven't seen since the 1970s. What happened in the 70s truly was a supply shock. Supply collapsed and demand stayed relatively the same. Today's inflation is because demand is surging. Supply is also growing. That red line is going up, but it just can't keep up with demand. So when people say this is a supply issue, they're incorrect. It is a supply issue where supply can't keep up with demand, but the real problem here is that blue line, which is demand. Demand has exploded above its historical averages. And while they talk about the demand of some goods, like cars, chips, and those type of things, that's a problem that's going to be solved over time, but demand is going to shift towards services. And the problem of shortages is also happening with services and is likely to build. This chart shows that the demand for services is rapidly returning to pre-COVID levels and service employment is lagging as employers are having trouble finding workers. Now, as service demand continues to normalize, that will be putting more pressure on a labor market that's already very tight. It's already difficult for people to find workers. Go to any restaurant and see how many now hiring signs there are. They have them posted everywhere. The labor market is already very tight and this problem is going to continue to grow. If you take the typical relationship of how much labor it takes to satisfy service demand, a return to pre-COVID levels of service demand would push unemployment to historical lows. Addressing this imbalance will mean placing upward pressure on wages to entice more workers to work longer hours, as well as requiring investments to improve productivity. Addressing these shortages is like a game of whack-a-mole. You can fix it in one place, but you can't fix it everywhere in a simple way. It's going to require a lot of investment and a lot of productivity enhancements to catch up. But right now, the gap is so large and the policy remains so loose that it's encouraging demand further. That means that this gap is likely to be reasonably sustained. You can also look at household demand. This is likely to be sustained as well. Governments transferred a massive amount of cash to households, more than offsetting the lost incomes from COVID. Household balance sheets 
streets are now in a materially better state than they were pre-pandemic. These gains have been broad-based across the economy, not just in the top decile or quantile. Ongoing stimulative financial conditions have further lowered debt service costs, and incomes have also benefited as economies have reopened. In short, households are wealthy, flush with cash, and ready to spend, setting the stage for a lasting, self-reinforcing surge in demand. Supply can try to keep up with demand, but it's not going to. Metal prices, for instance, have risen sharply since last year, as demand has far outstripped supply. Looking ahead, it will be hard to bring supply online because of the significant underinvestment in CapEx spending over the past decade. Check out this graph. The CapEx spending is the blue line, and the metal prices is the red line. Our CapEx spending on metals doesn't match supply. And the problem is there's a lagging effect meaning that in some metals, it takes 10 years of CapEx spending to reach that same level of supply. So this is unlikely to be transitory. Metals are going to be expensive for years into the future. Not only do we not have enough metals, we don't have enough energy. Prices of gas, coal, oil are all spiking all around the world. And this is despite the fact that production of energy is still at all-time highs. We're producing more and more energy, but we can't possibly keep up with the demand. There's not enough productive capacity. China has increased their production by 20% over their pre-pandemic trends. And their exports, the amount that China's shipping to the U.S. and other countries, is up a full 40% over its trends. So China's productivity is much higher. But despite the surge in supply, it's still not enough to keep up with these levels of demand. As a result, they're saying, well... We need more CapEx, we need more employees, we need to produce more. And that just shifts demand from one place to the other. Now there's squeezes in supply of other parts of the economy. There's not enough inventory or shipping capacity. So even if China produces more stuff, shipping it across the ocean and storing it here is a problem. There's simply not enough places to put it. There's not enough housing. People are flush with cash, interest rates are at record lows, and that creates a lot of demand for houses. As a result, prices of homes are surging, rents are surging, and the CPI numbers don't really gather all of this data. They don't really reflect the full extent of how little supply we have of homes. And finally, there's not enough labor. We have not seen this tight of a labor market in our entire lives. This is nothing like the boom in the 1990s or 2006 and 7, or even pre-COVID. Half of all firms in the U.S. are unable to fill their positions. Half the companies in the U.S. cannot fill their positions. That's far higher than anything we've seen since 1975. Right now, there's more job openings than there are unemployed people by a decent degree. And workers are demonstrating a new leverage they have. People are quitting jobs. There's the great resignation. In fact, the amount of people quitting their jobs right now is the highest it's ever been in the history of the U.S. Now, further complicating this labor shortage is that the people that left the labor force during COVID don't seem particularly likely to come back, as most of them say that they don't want a job. And many are over 65 and are likely permanently retired. These folks would need to be heavily enticed to come back to the job market. And with this easy monetary policy, that doesn't seem likely. All of these pressures of labor shortages are leading wages to rise at the fastest rate since the 1980s, as demand is far exceeding the supply of labor. These wage increases are only the beginning of the next major wave of inflationary pressures. For starters, as consumer spending shifts from products to services, this whole shortage of labor is going to become much worse. And as expectations of higher inflation start to get baked into the future wage increases, inflation will become increasingly self-reinforcing with no easy way out. Demand is outstripping supply everywhere you look. 
This isn't some type of specific unique problem with chip shortages or car shortages or some logistics problems with shipping. This is across the board, and policymakers are unlikely to be able to fix this problem everywhere. The gap between demand and supply is now large enough that high inflation is likely to be reasonably sustained, particularly because easy policy is encouraging further demand rather than constricting it. So I don't believe that this issue of inflation is some short-term transitory issue that will be easily solved as Jerome Powell is suggesting it is. I think that the problem is much more complex. Demand is likely to stay high for the foreseeable future, and prices of assets continue to be inflated. I don't think there's any way around it. There's no other good place you can put money other than in assets. So when I look at my portfolio and I see companies at all-time highs like Apple and Microsoft, and I look at their P.E. ratios of 27 and 35, I think that that's expensive, but you have to put that in context of what's going on right now. Everything is expensive. There's demand everywhere. And if you get left out of this market, you won't have your assets inflate with the rest of the market. Look at Costco. This is a company that I've really only purchased at all-time highs, yet it continues to climb higher and higher as people push up the prices more and more. I'm already in the green by $8,300 on this holding. Costco trades at a 42 PE ratio. This seems expensive, but big money's piling into this company because they can handle inflation better than most other companies. Costco doesn't eat the cost of inflation completely. And unlike most other retailers, Costco has already paid their employees very well. So they're not under extreme pressure to hike up the wages like other companies. And they have lower turnover because they already treat their employees so well. So Costco is benefiting from all the good decisions they made in the past. They treated employees well, they paid them well, and now they can actually find labor easier than most other companies. When employees are in demand, people want to work for Costco over other retailers. Disney, on the other hand, is struggling. They have the same issues of logistics and paying people more. Every single retail employee that Disney employs is becoming more expensive. Disney also manufactures a lot of goods that are produced in China and shipped across the ocean, which is far more expensive. This is why Costco has recovered their earnings per share so much quicker than Disney. Take a look at Costco's EPS. It's gone up year over year like crazy. Costco's earning way more money than they did last year despite this inflation. Disney, on the other hand, is still struggling with all these issues and their EPS is way below historical norms. It's not like it spiked over the past year. It's less than half of where it used to be. The companies that are the most well-positioned during this inflationary time are probably the best-of-breed retailers like Costco, Home Depot, Target, as well as tech companies that sell services. Lots of tech companies have no marginal cost of reproduction. Apple is limited with the amount of hardware that they can sell. They do have physical constraints. Microsoft is not really limited because almost everything they sell is software related. And I think this is part of the reason that we've seen Microsoft's price continue to go up. This company has no issues with this inflationary time. So when I look over my holdings and possible investments, I don't make it the first priority to consider inflation. That's not the first thing that I look at. Of course, I look at the businesses and what they do and how they operate, but I am considering inflation in the mix. What companies are really standing to benefit from inflationary pressures? And I do think that's something that we should all consider because I'm not convinced that inflation is some short-term transitory issue with one-time price hikes. I think there's a good chance it will stick around for a little bit longer than people are expecting. And if that's the case, it will have an effect on your stocks and your holdings. So I think it's something to keep in mind. That's all for this episode. I'll see you in the next one.